0: Before I get to the heart of message today, I want to. I'm talking about sin, and um, for those of you who don't know, it's sometimes talking about not sometimes, every time talking about sin from this perspective. For me, teaching about sin, it's a it's a really hard thing to do, and I don't like it very much. Um, but uh, so I've been wrestling with sin, and and. How to talk about it all week long and, and thinking through what what needs to be said and what God wants me to say and whatever and uh, we we sang the the songs that we sang and, and Jeff had us sing the second verse to uh, before the throne of God again um, and it's it's just in, incredible and, and as I'm I'm singing that song for some reason I kind of look at, and and. Danny is, um, comfortably, sweetly laying in Dave's lap, and then I catch, um, Ben and Stephanie over here, um, it's okay, Steph, it's good, um, I see, uh, like, they're just sweetly holding hands singing together, and then just behind them, uh, Al had his arm around his son Caleb, and I think, like, I've wrestled with sin this week, um, And I've wrestled with the ugly, ugly death that sin brings. Um, And the beautiful part, the good news of all of this is that Danny and Dave doesn't happen. Ben and Stephanie don't happen. Caleb and Al don't happen. What what Danny and Dave and Ben and Stephanie and, and Caleb and Al and every one of us, what we deserve is wicked, awful, nasty death because that's what sin does to us. And I know all three of those situations, and there's sin involved in all three of those situations. There's sin involved in all of our hearts. We deserve nothing like what we have. And it's only because of who Jesus Christ is and the beautiful love of God that we're allowed to have an adopted child sleeping on our lap, or a marriage where we can grasp and, and hold to one another and and a, a father and just only because of jesus um so um didn't plan on saying that but it's it, it was the picture of, of where i think god wants to take us today so let me uh let me pray and we'll dive in god thank you so much for your son jesus I got it and i uh I want to I say that I'm sorry, God, for starting so many prayers off like that without knowledge of the depth of what I'm saying. God, thank you for Jesus. God, may we all this morning get a chance to stop and, and thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that you would guide our thoughts this morning as we think about sin and think about the danger and awfulness of sin But God, I pray you wouldn't leave us in that spot. You would leave us with the good news that your Son came not to condemn us, but to be our Savior. Thank you for Jesus so much. Guide us now as we study your Word. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I want to bring two quick verses and talk about the bad news of sin in front of us and then get into our story of the life in chaos with David. And it is... um, this is probably the most chaotic of of all of the stories we've seen in the Life and Chaos this morning. This is a, um, this is a horror movie. This is Game of Thrones. This is a Quentin Tarantino movie. This is ugly, awful, crazy stuff that happened because of the sin of the man Scripture says was after God's own heart. Um, one of the things I found uh, throughout this Life and Chaos series, I, I had a this lofty picture of david and who he was and i I often see david as the leader as as the the king the the best king of of the nation of israel in the old testament the writer of the psalms i see them as this this lofty incredible wonderful guy but he was really he was not that he was a bad guy um we'll talk about that later uh but let's, let's look at John 10.10 10 and see, I, I want to show you the bad news of what sin does and what it intends to do. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, sin will steal from you, it will kill you, and it will destroy you. We can be confused about a lot of things this morning and, and I, we can go, we're going to go to some places and, and my brain has been scrambled trying to, you know, organize and place this out. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be certain that some of you are going to leave this morning a little confused and trying to figure out how to place what, where and, and when and how and what sin does. But he, hear this, very point blank, very specifically. Sin will steal from you, it will kill you, and it will destroy you. Um, don't be confused. Uh, Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That life, that word life, the, the Greek word there, is the essence of who you were created to be. When Jesus communicates that, sin, the, the thief, Satan has come to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. I have come to bring to you the essence of, for which you were created, um, and I don't, I, like, and those are diametrically opposed to one another. So when we sin, we willingly say, "I don't want this. I don't want to be the essence of why I was created." And it's when we see it on its face; it's so easy to point out that it's dumb. James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each person is tempted. Each person, every one of us, is tempted. And when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And if you remember a few weeks ago, when we talked about David and Bathsheba, do you remember what David's first sin was? Let's let's call this one not rhetorical, and and maybe you can can answer that. You guys remember what that was when we talked about it? Not being, in not being in battle. Yeah, not he basically shirking his own responsibility. And then the immediate response from that was, where was David when he right before he lusted after Bathsheba? He was sitting on his couch. So these the simple, subtle little sins. Let's and and all the stuff that happened. There's like. People killing each other, raping their sisters, and uh, killing lots of people that happened in our story today. And it begins with, God told me to do this, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to sit on my sofa instead. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. How many times do we sit on our sofa and think, "I'm bringing death upon myself and my family"? Rarely, but this is sin. Uh, John Ryan says this about sin: it is sin is not a small miss. It is not a mistake. We, I think we, we live there a lot. We think that uh, sin, a small miss, it's, not a, it's a mistake, but it's not. Sin is actually the destruction of the soul. And no matter how much effort we put in, no matter how hard we try, we cannot give back to our souls. Um. Trying to paint a really bad picture of sin here. Don Carson, a theologian, says this. When we sin, we de-God God. When we sin, we de-God God. In other words, we, he's God, he's in control of everything, and when we sin, we decide that you are not God, and I'm going to make you not God. I'm going to make me God. The first commandment in importance, according to the Lord Jesus... So in other words, Jesus said this in the scriptures, is you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the way we were created, and that's the way it is supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be is we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Carson also says if we fail to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, we have already fallen into sin we have missed the mark of what we should be. We've missed, sin causes us to miss the mark of what we should be. And so I think that most of our lives, the the follower of Christ who who, is, who, who sees their life at, and pursuit of God as important to them, as vital to them, we, we can see it, and, and culture sees this. I think probably everybody sees sin as God being some sort of, power trip, I want to get my people to fall into line. But that's not at all. Sin is sin because it leads us to a place that's going to bring us death and destruction upon us. Um, sin is, is not a power trip. Sin breaks the heart of God. Have you ever heard that before? Have you heard that phrase before? Sin breaks the heart of God. I've heard, I, I believe it as truth. You probably believe it as truth. You've probably been taught it as truth. And I've thought about it, especially a lot this week. Sin breaks the heart of God. And there's, there's lots of theological reasons for that, but I, I want to bring a different perspective to that idea that I think will illuminate what it is that, that I'm trying to say here. Um, and it's so have you ever loved someone or something so much that it hurts? When bad stuff happens to that person. Um, I remember my oldest daughter, Brianna. She's uh, an adult, married with a couple of kids now. I remember when she she the man she's married to, she was her boyfriend for all of high school. And they broke up two or three times. And I remember, like, her soul was crushed. I mean, it was a high school breakup, you know, big deal, but in that moment, she was broken, and every time it happened, Jeff would sit on our sofa, and they would eat ice cream together, and, and she would cry, and, and we would, the four of us would sit around, and it hurt me to watch her hurt, and, and, and I want you to think of, of a time when it hurt you to watch someone hurt Um, it's hard. And I believe that when we say sin breaks the heart of God, in part, it breaks the heart of God because it hurts to watch someone that you love hurt. And so God creates for us Scripture, has brought to us Scripture to help guide us into places where we won't hurt. I think about it this way. Hannah Grace will turn 16 in January. And that, (laughs) yeah, stop it. That's right. It freaks me out. It freaks me out because she's growing up and there's going to come a day soon where she'll leave our house and and that's going to hurt. And I hope it will hurt you to watch me hurt in that situation. And you'll come to my aid, and more likely come to Jen's aid in those times, but um, really what I want to say is, she's we're learning to drive with Hannah Grace, and uh, I, Hannah Grace is really smart, she's really talented, she's an incredible young lady, she loves Jesus very much, um, but she can have problems with like, distraction, um, and there's there's probably uh, a generational component to that because I can have problems with distraction. Um, and so I don't I don't want to get into little her little idiosyncrasies of of how she drives and you know the cliche oh she's 15 she's got a driver's permit she's gonna have that you know that silly whatever all that stuff is true, but I'm when I'm there every morning. On the way to school, she's driving and I'm sitting next to her and, and other times when we're driving, I'm trying to give her tips and when it's raining, these are the things you're going to want to do and you're going to want to pay attention and you need to turn on your signal now and you need to, to stay wide here and you need to, to be prepared for this turn and you need to make sure your, your phone is put away. Don't be distracted with your phone. I'm, I'm giving her all these ideas, all these, these rules, these helpful rules. And why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? Because I, I don't want her to have an accident. I don't want her to get hurt. And we think of sin as a power trip from God. But, but sin is, is God saying, be, be careful. Because I, I want to give you this incredible life, the essence for which you were created to be. But there are things about you That are going to want to make you look at your phone and text your friend or Snapchat and you're going to rear in someone and hurt them and hurt yourself. You're going to get distracted and make a turn when you went right, when you should have went left and Siri's not going to be able to understand you because you're going to be in a a bad area where you don't get coverage and you're going to get lost and you're going to have no idea what to do and you're going to be scared to death. And for me, as her dad, that... Like, I love her so much. I don't want her to be lost with no cell reception. I don't want her to be on the side of the road with a, a bloody forehead. I don't want her to rear in someone and, and injure them. I don't want her to be distracted. I don't want her to drive over a curb and tear up the front end of her car. I want her to have a safe car. I want all these things for her. And and this is your God's, this is, why it breaks the heart of God when you sin, because it's taking you to a place where you are going to feel death and pain. Because there's a, a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Sin is a decision to make yourself God. In this moment, I believe that I know my life Better than God does, and I'm going to choose those things. Um, turn with me now to Second Samuel, and let's talk about this idea of the growth of sin in his life, and how a simple sin led to this crazy, broken situation that we find ourselves in because of sin going unchecked. Um, I want to give a little background. So, David lusts after Bathsheba. He, um, Bathsheba becomes pregnant from an encounter with David. David has her husband Uriah killed and takes her as uh, his wife. And Nathan... Rebukes David, and part of that rebuke is where we're going to start with today, starting in verse 9 of Second Samuel 12. Nathan saying to David, "'Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah,' that's Bathsheba's husband, the Hittite, with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house.' Because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Because you did this, the consequences of your sin on this earth, on this planet, will be what we're going to look at later in just a second. Verse 11 Thus says the Lord Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your house. And today we'll see that evil rising up against him. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. Skip over 1 chapter 2, um, 2 Samuel 13, and we're going to read the story of Amnon, Tamar, and Absalom, and David in the midst of this. This is, uh, be prepared, there's some really ugly stuff that happens in this, uh, in this passage. Now, Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And you're going to need to know there's like step and half and whatever because David is an awful, sinful human being who could not control his sex drive. He had concubines. He had multiple wives. And this, like, we think a lot of times Old Testament stuff, multiple wives, that was just what they did. It's culture. It's okay. No, it's not okay. It's wrong. And it's the unchecked sin in David's life that brings forth All of this dysfunctional brokenness. David's sin brings death. And all throughout this, I can't understand why God loves David. Now, Absalom, David's son, and by the way, Absalom was David's favorite. And he has a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, one of his so... Half brother to Absalom and Tamar. He was, uh, verse 2, and Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. Like, that's just, we could stop and see the ridiculous sin that's there. And by the way, sin is generational. Dads, be careful. Absalom and Amnon's roles in this story have a lot to do with the generational nature of unchecked sin. Verse 3, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Be careful who you call friends. The son of Shemaiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Do you see how he... He doesn't say my sister. He says my brother Absalom's sister. We do a really good job of lying to ourselves. What does sin do? It lies to you. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes in to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread and eat and prepare food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Amnon is using his dad as a pawn for this sinful plot. Verse 7. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to a brother Amnon's house, and when he was lying down, where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, But he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send everyone out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, um, and be careful, this is about to get ugly. Bring food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And she took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat... He took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. Like I want to stop for a second. This is about to be something really awful that's, that's about to happen. And, and sin is so powerful. Like, he knows this is a terrible thing to do. And then his sister that he loves says, please don't do this to me. Please, Like, there doesn't need to be a big flashing red light in Amnon's world here to see that this is wrong. And it's going to lead to really, really wrong. But in this moment, he's de-godding God. I can provide for my own happiness in this moment better than God can. Verse 12. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame. He am not saying that he loves her, but he really just loves himself because if he loved her, he wouldn't do an awful thing to her. Your sin affects so many people. And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please. Speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. That's simple language, for he raped her. Verse 15 Watch what happens to Amnon. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnod said to her, get up and go. What a, what a terrible human being. But remember what we read in, in 2 Samuel 12 just a minute ago. Nathan came to David and said, because of what you've done, this stuff is going to happen to you. Make no mistake, sin is generational. Be careful, those of you who are parents. Verse 16, But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong, in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her, so he called the young man whom served him, and he said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her terrible person now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore and she laid her head her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went and her brother Absalom said to her has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived in a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. So Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Um... So, this story kind of weaves in and out for the next, like, three, four chapters. Um, Let me tell you, give you the highlights of what happened. Um, From that moment, Absalom plots for about two years how to properly and get away with killing his brother Amnon, and he does, and he kills Amnon. And so, two years he spends trying to figure out a way to do this and get away with it, and he does. Um, And... Absalom uses his brother, his dad David, in a very similar way that Amnon did, as a pawn to make it happen. Uh, and after Absalom kills Amnon, I remember I told you before that Absalom was David's favorite, and David then hates Absalom because he's killed Amnon. Uh, then Absalom gets this idea to to become the wisdom-bearer for all Israel, and he turns the nation of Israel against David because they have this battle, this war. So they're literally now having this battle of wits, waging war for the throne. And Absalom eventually wins, and David has to flee. He runs away. Just like he was fleeing from Saul, he now is fleeing from Absalom, his son. Can you imagine Can you remember back to 2 Samuel 12 when Nathan says, I will rise up from within your house? Evil. And that's exactly what's happening. Then while David is on the run from Absalom, Absalom goes in, Scripture says this in a couple of chapters after 2 Samuel 13 here, that he lies with the concubines of David. Bear with me here. David is sinful, and he can't control his sex drive, so he literally has women at his disposal that he can go and have sex with whenever he wants to. This is David. This is the man after God's own heart. This is the wretched human being that he is. And Absalom sends David away, sends him fleeing, and decides, I'm, this is how I'm going I'm to go and, and lay with all those women too. This is just awful nasty that, that began with David laying on his sofa. Don't, don't miss that. Sin entices you, and when it's full grown, brings forth death. Years later, after Absalom has taken the throne from David, David rises back up and his friend Joab has a chance to kill Absalom, and he's been given very strict instructions from David, do not kill Absalom. But Joab kills Absalom, and David gets his throne back. It's, it's gory, awful. You can read the rest of 2 Samuel. This is awful, grotesque things that happen as a result of sin. I want to spend the last few minutes talking about some good news. One day, Jesus was talking about his father. Jesus was talking about God. He was talking to uh, someone in John chapter 3 about his father. And he says to this person, God loves you so much. And even though you're sinful and Even though sin can bring ultimate death, God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want sin to win in you. So what he did was he sent me here to die for you. That's John 3.16. You all know that passage. But do you know John 3.17? John 3.17 says... For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be saved through him. The Good News Translation. Um, This is so incredibly beautiful. God did not send his son into the world to be its judge, but to be its savior. God didn't send Jesus here. To tell you you're screwed up, that you're wrong, that you did things wrong. Look at David. He's such a terrible guy. He literally keeps women in a a big giant room. And their only purpose for being alive is to satisfy his sexual cravings. This is David. David. Bible says he's after God's own heart. He wrote most of the psalms, most of the stuff that engages our heart to worship was written by this deeply flawed, terrible man. But God didn't send Jesus here to say, you're screwing up, you're doing it wrong. What he brought Jesus, what he sent Jesus here to do was to be your savior, to be David's Savior to defeat sin so that children can lay and sleep on our our laps. So that husbands and wives can, can can put aside their flaws and their faults and engage with one another the way that we were created to. Do you see that there's relationship? doesn't exist apart from the saving work of Jesus. If Jesus came to condemn, Danny is not on Dave's lap. Ben and Stephanie are not holding hands. But a Savior has come to put away your sin and give you glimpses of the beauty for which you were created. And a child in his his simple love for his dad or in, in a, a husband and a wife. It's, it's beautiful. It's the way you were created to be. Hear me read this to you again. For God did not send his son into the world to be his judge. God did not send his son in the world to tell you you're screwing it up. He sent Jesus into this world to save you. I don't know why David was loved by God, but he was. The only thing I can come up with is that God is love. I made no decisions to have brown hair and brown eyes. I just do. God made no decisions to love. He is love. And that love is so great and so incredible that it motivated him to send his son, Jesus, not to condemn you, but to save you. And not just that, it didn't just motivate him, it accomplished it. Jesus offers life abundantly. I want you to just see those two things You may deal with sin and the consequences of sin, but Jesus has defeated it. And because he has defeated it, we can experience glimpses of what we were created for. But there's going to come a time when we experience it in its fullness, when sin doesn't have any consequences on this planet. We now engage God fully. This is the offer of Jesus. Let's pray and get a chance to be moved by the beautiful love of God. God, I thank you That your love is so beautiful. God, I thank you for giving us brains to engage your love. God, I thank you for giving us emotions to be moved by your love. God, I thank you that you have defeated sin. I thank you that you've come not to condemn us, but to save us. God, I pray for the dads in this room and the moms in this room. God, make us intimately aware of our sin and how we're passing that on to our children. God, make us aware of the generational nature of sin. And God, may we stop God, we have an enemy that's very real. It comes to steal and kill and destroy. Sin gives birth to death in us. Lord, sin gives birth to death in our children. God, may we see you as a loving, nurturing God who's overcome it. We are so thoroughly dependent upon your grace. God, help us to learn how to repent. Help us to learn how to check our sin. God, thank you for this community that you've given to us. Guide us now as we respond. May we engage with your beautiful Son Jesus. Draw us into your presence. Let us dwell there. In Christ's name.
1: As we respond, I just I want to invite us to to not just potentially play church and respond in the ways that we always respond and come to the table and but I think that just from the story, the thing that's in my mind is, is how deep and dark um, sin is. And, and we're offered freedom and forgiveness and grace right now. It's here. But nonetheless, even in the gospel, there's this tendency we can have to, to feel like, well, our sin is just isn't that big of a deal because we're accepted. We're an accepting place, right? We're a loving place. We know we're broken. We know we're sinful. And I think that can bear weight on us in such a way that makes us say, it's just okay. But as we respond, what I want to invite us to is actually the invitation to wage war where sin isn't okay. Because it's never okay. But God is doing a work and so maybe in this moment, the Lord would open our eyes, open your eyes to areas where you need to continue to wage war. Because let's just be honest, you have like two or three things in your life that are continuing to knock on your door, right? I guess, you know, you don't, you don't struggle against like 30 sins. You got like two that continue. And here's the invitation is that as we come to the table and recognize our acceptance, we're invited to continue to wage war in that acceptance against the very things that will destroy us if we don't continue to surrender them and continue to say, God can grow me up out of this. So there will be some people in the back if you just want to pray. You you all know each other. Go grab somebody and wage war today. Don't let the, the sin that you dabble in and wrestle with continue in the way that it is in such a way that it will generationally affect years down the road. But let's pray that God would do a work in our hearts as individuals and as a church to take us deeper into the truthfulness of the gospel, that we're loved and accepted. But in that acceptance, we push forward in holiness, not just be okay with, with what we're messing with. And so um, let's respond to the Lord as he leads.